This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Minnesota Vikings, the NFL, football, yeah, football. Welcome to Purple Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here, along with pro football focus data analyst and other analyst of things and podcaster and YouTuber, Eric Eager. How are you, Eric? I'm doing well, man. Really excited for this weekend of games. Yes, this weekend of games, which will involve teams not named the Minnesota Vikings. So as we continue to pick that apart, um, I, I wanted to get you on to talk about the offensive line because... Every tweet that I've gotten, many of the phone calls have pointed frustration at the Vikings offensive line. And, well, I would agree with that, and you could sort of see that coming last offseason when they didn't spend a first-round pick on the offensive line. I think it's up for debate two areas, Eric. One is how much the Vikings offensive line impacted the Vikings passing game this year. And part number two is how much can you fix it this off season, how much is possible? So starting with the first one, how do we separate Kirk Cousins' lack of pocket presence, the times where he sat and padded the ball until he got sacked or didn't move out of the pocket, with Mike Remmers repeatedly being beat up the middle, and the same goes for Tom Compton and in several games Riley Reef as well. Those things were also problematic. How do we parse out how much was the offensive line how much was Cousins? How much was Khalil Mack being amazing? And how we can really look at the offensive line impact on Cousins in the passing game? Yeah, so the interesting thing is that people talk about pressure on a quarterback as if it's something that happens to the quarterback. And while that's true a lot of times, there's obviously plays, whether it be a blitz or whether a guy you know gets beaten off the line of scrimmage extremely quickly et cetera, et cetera, there are certainly times when pressure is something where you have to give, you know, almost no blame to the quarterback. But as I showed you today when we were, you know, talking and prepping for the, the podcast, a lot of a quarterback's pressure rates are owned by him. I, you know, every I went through the whole pro football focus era and we chart pressures and a team's pressure rate, which again, probably more indicative of an offensive line, is actually less stable on a year-to-year basis than an individual quarterback's pressure rate. 
Um, a quarterback's pressure rate is one of the most stable things that you could talk about with respect to him. So um, from, you know, I think like it certainly does. If we know that every single quarterback, except for like 2013, Josh McCown, weirdly gets worse under pressure. Um, however, some quarterbacks, you know, handle it better. It's a little unstable. Um, but quarterbacks pressure oftentimes is not something that happens to them. It's something that's a characteristic of their play. And for that, you know, for that reason, I think people who are quick to rush to what we expected to happen, which was that the offensive line for the Vikings would be subpar this season, I think are being a little bit disingenuous when they, when they sort of defend Kirk Cousins. So I'm looking through some of the statistics on Kirk Cousins and his time to throw on the Pro Football Focus website. And a few things really stand out here, Eric. One is the drop back percentage in which Cousins gets rid of the ball in less than two and a half seconds. So he's catching it and getting rid of it quickly. He ranks 15th in that. And, and so it, when you're saying he had no time, well, that might have been true on some instances. Now, Ben Roethlisberger was getting rid of the ball 10% more uh, in less than two and a half seconds. Drew Brees, Phillip Rivers, Tom Brady, Baker Mayfield, some of the better quarterbacks in the league, getting it, getting rid of it actually quicker than him. His rate of getting rid of the ball fast uh, looks more like Carson Wentz or Cam Newton or Patrick Mahomes for how often he's catching and throwing. Um, that really stuck out to me because I, I think that that sort of shows us that he, yes, he was getting pressured very often, but it's a factor when you're holding on to the ball for that percentage of time. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously Kirk doesn't call the play, so it might be indicative of the offense that, you know, a team's calling. We know, we know that Case Keenum played under a similarly poor offensive line a season ago, and he was able to avoid sacks and he was able to, and Pat Shermer was able to scheme things open quickly. We also know that early in the season, Kirk, Kirk Cousins' passer rating when pressured was in the 90s, you know, something that sort of regressed as the season went along. So it wasn't necessarily something that we thought he couldn't overcome early in the season, something that he was unable to late in the season. So, you know, uh, the one that I like to think about is is one of our favorite quarterbacks, Deshaun Watson, faced pressure at a league-high rate this year. I think it was something like 45% of his dropbacks were pressured and yet, you know, he was one of the more effective quarterbacks in the league. A lot of that has to do with the fact that the Texans have one wide receiver who's in the class of Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen, as opposed to the Vikings who have two. So you can certainly overcome pressure. And, and you know, it's by what you said, you know, Ben Roethlisberger faces, I think, it's either first or second least uh, amount of pressure to Drew Brees. And a lot of that's because over the course of his career, he's learned to get rid of the ball more quickly. We know Brees gets rid of the ball more quickly uh, than anybody in the NFL, seemingly. So, uh, yeah, Roethlisberger had the lowest pressure rate this year. And, again, it's because he's, you know, sort of evolved as a player. He's got talent around him, guys that can make yards after the catch. So, um, you know, obviously a poor offensive line is difficult to overcome, but it's 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 not something you can't overcome. And I don't necessarily think it should be excuse anywhere from excuse one to excuse four for the reason the Vikings offense, uh, you know, passing for under 200 yards in a, the majority of their second half games this season. Uh, you know, are out of playoffs. Cousins, by the way, in terms of his average time to throw the ball was 17th in the league. And you're right, maybe some of that has to do with uh, John Filippo and the system and things like that. There might be some of it that has to do with play actions, but then again, he wasn't one of the higher play action quarterbacks in the league. I think that was a schematic mistake by John Filippo to not have him run play action more often. But I don't think that that is skewing his number in terms of 
when he's catching and releasing the ball. And, and to even take it a step further, the average time to getting sacked. So when he takes the ball and gets sacked, like how much is it? He's in the middle of the league in that too. So Drew Brees is the fastest. When he gets sacked, then they must have just run right through the line and sacked him. Yeah. Well, and not only that, but look at looking at Kirk Cousins, like like he was one of the top in the league. He was seventh. He finished league seventh in passer rating with pressure. He's in the same class there as, you know, Watson was first, Prescott was second. Ryan, Wilson, Winston, Rivers are all ahead of him. Brees just below Cousins. So pressure, like, you know, pressure was obviously a thing, but he, in, to the degree that a quarterback can, quote, handle it, he handled it about as well as anybody did this season. So I, I don't know. To me, it's just one of the, I think it's one of those, uh, one of the many reasons why people are trying to cop out uh, of the season the Vikings had. And I think, A, it was predictable. We all predicted it, especially after there was instability at their offensive line coach when unfortunately Tony Sperano died. But also, you know, it was something that we knew about Kirk. We knew this is actually, he probably performed better under pressure than we had predicted. And even then it was still not enough because usually uh, it matters more how a quarterback does on the clean pocket plays, which are about 60 to 70% of his dropbacks anyway. So that leads me into the other part of the question, which is, now, how much would fixing the offensive line, and I put that in finger quotes because it's just not as easy as snapping your fingers, and it's always been sort of a, I guess, a frustrating criticism of Rick Spielman, even though I understand it and agree with it, but it's like, well, did you not want this other player as a first-round pick or a second-round pick? You know, Did you not want uh, Eric Hendricks or something? Or would they, in order to build up the defense, they had to use a lot of draft picks to do it, so do you not want quite as good of a defense so you can have a better guard? Or what exactly uh, wh were they supposed to do there? And when Andrew Whitworth became a free agent, he didn't want to come to Minnesota. So you had to kind of settle for the next best guy. Uh, that's not to exonerate him. I think we all think that Will Hernandez should have been the first-round pick. But, I mean, we kind of focus a lot on that one thing. Uh, in terms of building the offensive line, but I don't think it's as easy as snapping your fingers and saying, well, this time around, just draft a guy at 18th, plug him right in, and then go get some free agent. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and to, to be transparent, I was somebody who wasn't offended by the Mike Hughes pick because I think. No, I remember you liked it. You thought it was a good pick. Demonstrated this year, right? You need. You need, and, and Hughes demonstrated it by being injured. You need bodies in the secondary to be a good defense, right? Yep. And the Vikings would have been in a tough place if Mackenzie Alexander wouldn't have taken the next step or Holton Hill wasn't better than expected and so on and so forth. So for me, I think it's far harder to hide a corner if you're, if you're smart than to hide a guard if you're smart, right? And I just don't think necessarily the Vikings are smart about the way they went about their offensive line. So it was magnified, but for me, like, it's difficult because by virtue of Cousins contract and, 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 you know, they drafted as if they thought he was going to be impervious to the offensive line play by virtue of his contract, you don't have the money to go out and get a Roger Saffold necessarily. You don't have the money to go out and get a Matt Paradis if you're going to move on at center, uh, you know, from, uh, from Pat Elfline. And of course at the tackle position, you invested a high pick in Brian O'Neill. You invested a decent amount of money, uh, in Riley Reese. So it's probably not, you know, conducive there, but you know, uh, my my colleague Mike Renner in in the recent mock draft for PFF he had the Vikings going with a, a guard out of Wisconsin named uh, Tyler Biades and you know obviously he's gonna if he's gonna be projected as a first round pick as a guard he's gonna be you know solid there but 
you know, those guys don't necessarily always step in and you get injuries. Isaiah Wynn was a high draft pick for the New England Patriots. He missed his entire year. Billy Price was injured for much of the season for the Bengals. And Frank Ragnow, I think, I believe he had an okay season for the Lions, but he certainly wasn't a game changer for that offense uh, as they were last place in the NFC North. So, you know, I just – nothing in football is ever simple, right? And and especially, you know, coming off this offseason where Vikings said, oh, all we need is a quarterback. Okay, well, let's punch a button. Now we're full contenders. Nothing is in football is as simple as saying, let's draft a guard high, plug him in, he'll be great. The Vi- you know, no longer will we have pressure on the interior to Cousins. Their offense will be brilliant, and we're back in the Super Bowl contention. So uh, I do like the drafting a guard more than I go- like going out and getting one, but – uh, even then, I don't think it's a you know it's a slam dunk uh, because the Vikings will have need interior of the defensive line linebacker without bar likely and again you can never have enough defensive backs. So I've got a maybe a hot take here, but I want to test this out and then if you hate it, then maybe I'll not use it all off season because uh, we got a long way to go till the Vikings we get to do. play football we do. again. We really do. Um, I know by mid season we'll be ranking stuff. Um, or mid off season, I mean, wide receiver, tight end. Instead of trying to overpay thirty year old guards like Roger Saffold, what about getting Kirk Cousins, Golden Tate, who will probably get overpaid, or whomever it might be, some other tight end that can actually go down the field, or a wide receiver or tight end in the first round. Like I'm thinking about Dallas Goddard and I really mm-hmm. liked, I really liked Dallas Goddard and I, and I don't ever try to be right in the draft except for Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson. Uh, underrated, mm-hmm. underrated black quarterbacks is my only area where I really desperately want to be right. Um, but everywhere else we're all right and wrong when it comes to draft. Um, but if you're talking about potentially drafting someone like Dallas Goddard this year, I think that that helps Kirk Cousins more than a right guard. Am I wrong about that? Well, I'm going to answer your question with another one because you and I both adore Patrick Mahomes and what the Chiefs are doing offensively. Who are the Chiefs' starting two guards? Couldn't tell you. Yeah, exactly, right? Because it doesn't actually matter that much. So to to come back at to answer the question, one of them is Cam Irving, former first-round pick of the Cleveland Browns who the Chiefs traded for and gave a bottom-of-the-barrel contract to, he is currently their worst-graded offensive player. He's one of the worst-graded players in the entire league. Doesn't seem to matter. Chiefs are the first team in the history of the NFL to score 26 or more points in every one of the regular season games. Their other guard um, is named uh, Andrew Wiley, who is not quite as poorly graded as Irving. Old, but uh, The old Wiley. Yeah, everybody, yeah, yeah. everybody knows but him. It, but it's still still struggled mightily this year. Big fan. Uh, Mitch Morris was injured much of the year. The interior of that offensive line does not matter enough as the fact that Patrick Mahomes can drop back three steps and throw a quick pass to Tyree Kill, and there is a better than zero chance that Tyree Kill is going to outrun that entire defense to the end zone. It matters more than Patrick Mahomes can throw a dart down the middle of the field to an athletic tight end named Travis Kelsey, right? And, and he can stretch the defense that way. All those things matter more than what the what the Chiefs do on the interior of the offensive line because they have a brilliant offensive line running the show. They have a great quarterback, and they have, as you so eloquently put, they have the skill players that can make a difference at a far higher rate than whatever they're doing on the interior of the offensive line. So, for my money, I agree with you. I think. 
Um, obviously, they lucked out with a fifth-round pick at Diggs and an undrafted free agent at Thielen. And honestly, the longevity of Kyle Rudolph has been pretty impressive. But I do think they need sort of more players there. Kendall Wright, Aldrich Robinson, Laquan Treble sort of not the answer there. I do think that they probably want to do some, you know, the Golden Tate would be a great option. Uh, you know, I think some, I think, you know, going after some tight ends would also be Max Williams, a former gopher. He's going to be a free agent this year. I think he offers some promise, uh, just to throw one name out there, but I, I agree with you wholeheartedly there. And well, Jared Cook is going to get too much money. I know that they had uh, interest. They in, wanted Jared, in Jared Cook, Cook two years yeah, ago, right? Yeah, and I, and and that would have been that would have been really good for them if they had landed him. Because you look through the list, and you know, there's not too many guys that will really impress you on the free agent list of tight ends. It's hard to find them. That's why drafting Michael Pruitt and Bucky Hodges in the fifth round is a waste of time for the most part. But if they could find someone higher, like if you're giving me the choice between taking a guard in the first round or the best tight end in the draft, I will take the best tight end in the draft and just tell Kyle Rudolph to deal with it. Like, we're going to play two tight ends, two wide receivers, run the ball as much as you want with the two tight ends in, but also play action and throw those guys. Forget who the guard is, other than Mike Remmers. Don't let it be Mike Remmers again. That was unfair to him. But, you know, I've got an even hotter take. I don't. It, I mean, it's the offseason already. It's, it's January. What is today? Third? Fourth? Yeah. I, okay, so I'm turning up. All right. A little warmer days here in Minnesota. Let's do this. Cordero Patterson is perfect for next year Minnesota Vikings. Boom. How about and that? he was, I believe, inactive in week 17 for the Patriots. We'll have to see how he, you know, figures into the playoffs. But yeah, I mean, he, you know, he does a lot of the things, especially if you're, if you're willing to be creative. He does a lot of, he breaks a lot of tackles. He, you know, makes a lot of yards after the catch for Kirk. You know, obviously, quick game i remember in 16 he had like a 1.5 yards you know air yards per attempt lower than the next lowest guy so you know, he he's very good at doing things after the catch uh he's great i think you know another one another name so just to sort of throw this out there i, I very much agree with the idea of drafting a guy high we have, there's this is a very good tight end class in collegiately and just starting out with Noah Fant. he's a guy that can't block anything but he can catch and i think in today's nfl Looking at guys like Kelsey, looking at guys like Goddard, Ertz, none of those guys can block, but they can certainly play, uh, you know, football, you know, in the, in the passing game down the field. So, uh, and Patterson's sort of built like a tight end. So it's, you know, very similar. So I, I like that idea as well. All right. So I like it then. I'm going to stick with it. It just sort of came to me as we were talking about, you know, the different guard solutions and, you know, Roger Saffold is 31 years old. Ramon Foster from Pittsburgh is going to be a free agent. He's 33. Did this work with Alex Boone? I mean, I think a lot of people would have looked at Alex Boone and he had, you know, some decent PFF ratings in the past when he was with San Francisco. And I think people would have said, oh, good. You know, you're fixing the line. You get Andre Smith washed up, Alex Boone washed up, and that didn't do anything to fix the line. You would prefer to draft a guard in the second round where usually they're there and still decent and take skill positions and pour some money into skill positions. And when you look at the skill positions that Kirk Cousins had in 2016 with uh, Deshaun Jackson, Pierre Garçon, they had Vernon Davis, they had um, Jordan Jordan Reed, Chris Thompson coming out of the back. I mean, they had weapons everywhere. I think that's the better solution. I think that everyone's going to focus on just line, 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 line. And I think it's just the more player. And, and I look at Chicago for this, Eric. They went out and got, um, you know, uh, Trey Burton 
and they went out and got Allen Robinson. They spent their money on skill positions. And at one point, Brian Witzman, who was let go by the Vikings, is starting at guard for them. And they were finding a way around that. Brian, Brian Witzman, by the way, was a chief starting guard last year when Alex Smith was putting up MVP numbers. During and he the first got half cut by the Vikings. That's how bad he is. Yeah. I like that. Honestly, it, and there is a market inefficiency. Obviously, you're not going to go out and get that big receive, you know, that big physical X receiver in free agency to be football about it. But what you're going to get is guys who are in free agency. Now you're going to have D'Anthony Thomas, former chief, kind of the same. He's like a smaller version, faster version of Cordell Patterson. Adam Humphreys, Cole Beasley, a couple of slot guys that, you know, the Vikings offense last season against the Saints in the second round of the playoffs were better when they played Jarius right in the slot and had the two stars on the outside of the formation. I like that one a lot. They tried that with Chad Beebe this year. Um, you know, at times I like that, you know, Javon Austin's a free agent. He also offers that and a, and a sneaky one that I think a lot of people will clamor for probably won't be feasible, but Larry Fitzgerald has spent the last probably three, four years of his career in the slot. I think he would be a great presence to have. I don't know necessarily if he put up with some of the some of the sideline stuff that Kirk likes to uh, <laughs> to have with his wide receivers, but if that were mitigated, he'd be a great option as well. Okay, so let me let me move on from this take, but I like it. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to write about it. Um when you look at the final numbers for the Vikings, offense or defense, but w- what is one that really sticks out to you? that kind of tells the story of where they might go. And I'll give you an example. I looked at a lot of the numbers in the secondary, and there's sort of competing things happening. Uh, in one way, Mackenzie Alexander getting better is something that I'm a little surprised by, to be honest, but Mike Zimmer is the cornerback whisperer, and I guess you just have to believe in him. And Holton Hill was able to step in and play really well. I'm not stunned by that because you always draft the weed guy uh, or UDFA, yes. the weed guy. Um, but, uh, Xavier Rhodes, really tough year and Harrison Smith, not quite as good before trying to figure out which direction the secondary might go when you have some younger guys who are promising, but also some of the veteran players who maybe didn't have as good of a year. Yeah. And again, I think this is why I'm not offended by the Mike Hughes draft pick as much as other people are because. We know, like, I've done tests on all the PFF grades and how stable they are. We know the cornerbacks, just by virtue of how unstable they are and how difficult the position is to play when you're injured. You know, we saw Rhodes injured at much of this year, struggled a lot, right? We've seen, you know, guys playing at various levels of healthiness. Like, it's just unstable, right? So you want to be able to have a game where you can sit Xavier Rhodes and play Holton Hill because Holton Hill is a legitimate football player in the NFL. You're not playing Marcus Sherrills as they have, they used to have to in the Leslie Frazier era, uh, to, you know, for example. Um, you want to have Trey, Trey Waynes had a, had a couple good years in a row, right? Do we know if that's real? Well, it's encouraging, but we don't necessarily know that it's real. If we want to move on from him as opposed to signing him to a big deal, you want to be able to do that. You can only do that if you have, you know, playable players in those spots. Um, you know, if you want to let Captain Munderland go via free agency, you want to know that Mackenzie Alexander, Terrence Newman are there to replace them, that kind of thing. So I think the secondary will be fine. You saw some good trending things with Anthony Harris playing really well. Jaron Curse. I think honestly, Jaron Curse's next role with this team is is more likely to be Anthony Barr's spot than it is to be Harrison Smith's spot. 
or Mackenzie Alexander's spot, but he was encouraging as kind of a linebacker, slot corner, safety kind of guy. Um, and, and of course, Mackenzie Alexander, he was terrific. Um, I'm trying to look at, he was about a half a win above replacement, which is really good for a defensive player. So I'm, I'm very, I was very encouraged there. I think Rhodes will bounce back. I think you'll get some ha- increased health from Mike Hughes. I think stopping the pass is the most important thing that you can do in the NFL, and the Vikings are well positioned there. All right. So that, but that was mine, and thank you for for commenting on that. Was there another one of yours that you looked over? Because now the stats are done. It's uh, I, I was kind of thinking about this the other day. How? Oh, these are the final stats. These are the ones for the next nine months that I will be citing in every article and every time we talk about them. This is how many yards everyone ran for. This is what PFF said about every guy. I think you guys go through and sort of tweak some PFF ratings uh, at the end. But for for the most part, this is what we're going to be looking at. So was there one as you were poking through um, that you said, you know, I think this says something about who they are, who they're going to be? Yeah, so we do uh, a quarterback clustering or grouping algorithm. And I last season before the season started, I told all of you guys where Kirk was. He was in a cluster with Derek Carr, Matthew Stafford, um, Dak Prescott. And and obviously I said, you know, let's wait and see how he does with the supporting cast and so on and so forth. Well, we ran it again. He ended up in that same cluster again. And just to sort of say why, on, on his dropbacks, the Vikings averaged 0.0 expected points added. So they were neutral. That is the exact same as Matthew Stafford. That's the exact same as Derek Carr with Oakland. That's the exact same as Dak Prescott with Dallas. So clearly with Dallas, you've seen you can win with that, but it's not Matthew Stafford and Derek Carr you, that aren't great. Talk about positively graded throws on the, on the Mackey and Judd the other day. Kirk Cousins, 20.1% of his throws are positively graded. Very similar to Alex Smith, Derek Carr. It was actually less than Blake Bortles and slightly higher than Matthew Stafford. Case Keenum was 20.6. So Kirk Cousins, we graded his throws positively at a lower rate than we did Case Keenum this season. That's bad. You talked about Trevor Simeon, possibility of possibly yanking Kirk in that game for a spark. Trevor Simeon with Denver in 2017, 21.9% of his throws are positively graded. 21.7% 21.7% in 2016. So Trevor Simeon was producing positively graded throws for Denver at a higher rate than Case Keenum was this year. So, or, sorry, uh, uh, Kirk Cousins. So that to me was tells you all you need to know. Not only was Kirk pressured a lot, but when he actually had to step up and make superlative throws, he just wasn't able to do it at a rate of even sort of like these kind of mediocre quarterbacks this year. You know, we really, you mentioned the second half of the season. We really didn't see any in the second half of the season. The first half had some memorable throws. The Los Angeles game, certainly in Green Bay at the end, the throw to Adam Thielen is phenomenal. So I understand why people were holding out for that as the season went along, but we just did not see it. And some of the games that they won, you know, they got a 70-yard touchdown run from Dalvin Cook against the Lions, plus the Lions allowed Matt Stafford to get sacked 10 times. Then we saw them run over the um, Miami Dolphins. There was a Hail Mary against the Lions. But there was not a guy dropping back and making throws all over the place. And I guess that's my last thing for you, Eric, is just the conversation about running the ball and the relationship with Mike Zimmer. I mean, that that's where you wonder if he's trying too hard to protect his quarterback from turning the ball over. And by the way, 
Trevor Simeon, I'm not saying he should start over Kirk Cousins, okay? But this is a mind-blowing stat. Kirk, <laughs> Cous- Kirk Cousins had 23 fumbles over the last two seasons. In Trevor Simeon's two seasons as a starter, he had nine. I mean, that really tells you about how the pressure and how the sacks and things like that, they're impacting Kirk more than other quarterbacks in part because he's turning the ball over a lot too. It's not, he's not just getting sacked. He's also giving the team the other ball, uh, the ball on fumbles all the time. Uh, I forget what the question was going to be, but that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It, it, and, and, and the strange thing about Kirk was his percentage of negatively graded plays was third best in the NFL behind Mahomes and Breeze. So it wasn't like, he's not out here like Jameis Winston, just airmailing guys every third throw. You know, Jameis makes up for it by having a lot of great throws, but Kirk isn't doing that. Kirk is making a bad throw, probably one out of every 10 throws. It's just that when he makes the bad throw, they are, you know, profoundly Kirkian in their way to turn a game around, right? Like we saw against New Orleans, like we saw, you know, that possibility against Miami when they were up 17, nothing, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so it's just a strange combination. Not a ton of great throws, not a ton of terrible throws, but the terrible ones get turned into really game backbreaking type plays and, and the fumbles. The fumbles are the thing that I think nobody, you know, if you look at traditional statistics, you look at the 4,000 yards, you look at the touchdown passes, no one was, except for you and, and we were talking about fumbles, the red zone fumbles, the plays that, you know, they, 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 they didn't even cover the spread against the Arizona Cardinals because of one play and that was, Kirk Cousins fumbling and Buda Baker running it in for a touchdown. So like it, it was a really strange season. And I think as encouraging as it was the first five or six weeks, it was every bit as you know numbing down the stretch that you just did not see them come up big. They had their opportunities. You tweeted this out. They were only down six, nothing against Seattle in the, in the fourth quarter. They were only down 10 or they were tied at 10 against new England in the fourth quarter, I believe. Uh, and against the bears, they were down three. Uh, going into, I believe, the fourth quarter, and in none of those games did you know did anybody step up and win it. So uh, it'll be interesting to see moving forward. I think if you're a Vikings fan, really tough to sort of derive, I think, some uh, optimism, you know, for next season. Okay, I remember the question: Zimmer in the obsession with the run game and Cousins. I mean, can, can a guy succeed when his coach is really afraid of him? fumbling and throwing interception all the time because that seems to be what when when Zimmer obsesses over the run it's not truly because of the play action of course you want a running game you want enough to strike a little fear into the defense you want to be able to close out games when you're up in the fourth quarter but realistically I listen to him talk about the run game and I think about the quarterback that Drew Brees's coach probably doesn't sit up late at night thinking too much about whether he runs the ball on Sunday or not. He thinks, well, okay, if we don't, we'll just throw it a lot and win anyway. Um, so I, I, I guess I just wonder if this combination can also work between head coach and quarterback. It depends on the guy, because as we talked about last year, you know, uh, Zimmer made a lot of, I wouldn't say disparaging, but he made a lot of comments backhandedly about Case Keenum in the press and Case just showed up every week and did what he did, right? And, yep. and it didn't yep. seem to affect him at all. And, and you know, he sort of let it roll off his shoulder a little bit. And a lot of credit goes to him for being, I think, mentally tough. It'll be interesting to see if Kirk Cousins can derive that kind of mental toughness moving forward because it is, I think it is 
really damning to a quarterback when the coach starts talking about having to cover him up and having to run the football to be safer and things like that because you know you you sow that seed of doubt into a quarterback's brain and some guys aren't necessarily able to overcome that all right uh eric i took you kind of all over the place on the podcast you uh, were good at reading and reacting sometimes uh it took you out of your alignment and assignment but you know, you just filled your gap anyway. So listen, you have to, you have to, you have to adapt to pressure, even when it's expected oh, by man. everybody but you. Oh man, you could have just gone with gap integrity instead. You had to go back to that one. Um, all right. Well, <laughs> uh, what do you got coming up for playoffs? Because people are still going to watch the playoffs that other teams are in. So, what are you guys doing at Pro Football Focus for the postseason? Yep, we had an article today talking about some of our spread picks. Uh, there's, a, I think, a pretty interesting game that's going to go on in Dallas, I believe, tomorrow night. Uh, and I think the Sunday afternoon matchup is going to be fascinating between the Chargers uh, and the Baltimore Ravens. We wrote about that on PFF, uh, ProFootballFocus.com. I actually have an article uh, on ProFootballFocus.com about special teams this week. We're looking at uh, some of the some of the data with, you know, mapping how good the special teams were this year and how that impacted the game. Um, pro, yeah, the PFF forecast is on, uh, podcast one. We're also on YouTube, uh, with, with some of our content here. So it's, it's exciting. I think, uh, there's a decided favorite in the NFL right now in the New Orleans Saints, but there are teams like Kansas City, Los Angeles Rams, Chicago Bears, uh, you know, New England Patriots who are, are nipping at their heels. So it should be a really fun, uh, postseason. And I'm, I'm really excited to sort of break it down, uh, week to week. All right. You can follow Eric on Twitter at, PFF underscore Eric. Uh, also, he's live uh, on MySpace after every game, so make sure you check him out there. And uh, all right, that thanks uh, Eric for your time, and thank you all as always for listening to the Purple Podcast. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh cosmic crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.